The L.A. Clippers' undefeated run comes to an end after just one game after a disappointing and heartbreaking narrow loss to the Utah Jazz in Utah. What went wrong for the Clips? Is it a terrible loss? Is it just one of those nights? Going to be talking about the old thing and previewing the San Antonio game on Sunday night on today's Locked On Clippers. You are Locked On Clippers. Your daily Los Angeles Clippers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, sir. You are locking in with the clips. Thank you for making Locked On Clippers the first listen of your day, your team every day. I'm your host, Darren Vaziri, born and raised in L.A. and just started my 19th season as a Clipper fan. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Dime Dropper Pod and subscribe to my own YouTube channel, Dime Dropper, for even more L.A. Clipper content. And Locked On Clippers, free and available wherever you get your podcasts, including YouTube, where I want you to let me know what you thought of the game. Just anything about the game. I want to hear all your thoughts, Clipper Nation, because it was a tough one. With the Clippers losing 120 to 118 in Utah to a team that we are better than and we should be beating. But we know that Utah is never an easy place to play, no matter who's on their roster. And I said that going into the game. And this game was a... Close one. It was a hard one to take. Hard hard defeat to swallow if you're a Clipper fan. But to be honest, the Jazz were the better team on this night. They were ahead the majority of the game. They were the team that came out and threw the first punch. And the Clippers were playing catch-up the whole way. Credit to Utah. Every single little run, every single little push the Clippers made, they bounced back. And they pushed the Clippers further away and said, nope, you're not going to catch us just yet. So we finally caught them in the fourth quarter and then just didn't bring it home after a Jordan Clarkson fall away three-pointer contested with Paul George at hand in his face, gave the Jazz the 120-118 to 118 lead. And let's just start out by talking about that final possession. How many times have I talked about Kawhi Leonard wasting too much time at the end of a game? That Oklahoma City game, last season at Staples Center really comes to mind where he dribbled the entire clock out. This one, he had just... So Kawhi had played well in the fourth quarter, right? He comes in around the nine-minute-and-a-half mark of the fourth and and gets going. Restores order when we were down by 10 again. And it just seemed like the last two minutes... And we've seen this before with the Clippers. We really have. Where his legs kind of go. And the shots are short. And he's obviously forced into taking deeper jump shots because, one... He doesn't have the energy to fight for deeper position. Two, when refs aren't calling as many fouls, yep, guys are going to get pushed a little further from the basket, and they're going to get hand-checked a little more. Maybe that arm bar is going to be there defensively, like the forearm. So you got to have tough shot makers, and Kawhi is. But that decision at the end of the game to not only waste a lot of time when we were losing and then pull up for three on a dime. Since when do you see Kawhi pull up for three on a dime? I mean, only when he's scorching hot. And when I say pull up for three on a dime, I mean one-on-one with no screen. Not like him walking into screens with teams in drop coverage pulling up on a dime. That's different. He did that a couple of times, and I love what he's been doing in terms of walking into threes, especially off screens when teams in drop coverage because he's been really shooting the three ball well this so far these first two games. But... 
on a dime like that, going to his left, pulling up from three, you don't, I knew the shot wasn't going in when he took it. And plus, it seemed like he pushed it really hard because he didn't have the legs, so he kind of forced it, and it was long. It wasn't even that bad of a miss, though. But he had actually beaten Jordan Clarkson off the dribble. I thought he was going to try to get to his mid-range, but he stopped his dribble early for the three. Just didn't like the shot at all. And then Westbrook gets the rebound, and Nico Batum was wide open behind him. John Collins' momentum was getting ready to take off to close out there, and he might have gotten a block. But if, in hindsight, especially if I were Russ, although I'm not Russ, so it's hard to say. I never had the ability of an MVP. But you, I think he should have kicked it out. I think he should have kicked it out to Nico because that's basically the same exact spot he hit that three against the New York Knicks from. And he was, it was an open three. John Collins was closing out. He may have gotten a piece of it. Who knows? But it was better than a turnaround one-legged mid-range by Russ which airballed. It was right online, but it airballed. And people were making such a big deal about Kawhi falling to his knees at the, after the game like he was mad at Westbrook. Nah, we lost the game we should have won. It's that simple. They don't need to make a story out of something that's not. Russell Westbrook, I don't mind the decision to take that shot. It is what it is. We lost the game, not just because of one possession. So I don't want to dwell on that too much. But going forward, I would like to see Paul George potentially be the guy we go to in the last 30 seconds. Sorry to the Kawhi stands. Sorry. Because here's why I say that. I think Paul George has the tendency to hit a wider array of shots, meaning that even though Kawhi is more consistent, much better mid-range shooter, the way he shoots threes in terms of percentage, you could even argue shooter. But the thing about Paul George is, one, he has more range, but two, I think his shot variety is a little bit more diverse. I think that can kind of hurt him at times too because Kawhi has more go-to stuff. But Paul George has the ability to hit off-balance leaners, pull-ups going both ways on a dime. He can work quickly off the catch and spin, the, you know, go back to the way he came from, right two seconds within catching the ball and pull up. Like, he has so many different shots in his arsenal. He can still post up and turn around from either shoulder. I mean, step back city, you name it. Tween cross pull up, like, and it's fluid. Everything is very fluid with P. He doesn't have to be on balance. Whereas Kawhi, look at every shot he's made this season, he's always on balance. Paul George can hit shots off balance. He hits leaners, fadeaways, and more than anything, he's 6'9 and gets higher up on his shot. Kawhi Leonard, he doesn't get much elevation on his jump shot, and it's a kind of a line drive. It's easier to contest because he's 6'7. Paul George is 6'9. So my opinion is that Paul George has a better chance late in games, and plus Kawhi's legs. Kawhi works harder throughout the game than Paul George, in my opinion. So it makes sense that he'd be a little more tired. But he also has the knee issue and stuff. You know, We know what Kawhi's body is. So I'm not saying Kawhi can't close. I really hope you guys are not taking it that way. Kawhi Leonard, to me, is still the closer in the fourth. But I'm just saying the last 30 seconds. It's the same thing I felt about Chris Paul. Even though he hit those two game winners against Memphis and San Antonio in the playoffs, I didn't like Chris Paul for the last shot because he was too small to get a clean look. And he wasn't, you know, he's not a score first player. He's still a good scorer. But Paul George... I mean, look at the shot he made against Houston last year to win the game. And a game I was at. I have the vlog on my channel. Spins over the left shoulder. He's off balance because Eric Gordon is fouling him. And he fades away in the corner. Like, and swishes it. And it looked like he had done it a hundred times. I just don't see Kawhi do that with the game on the line for us. Not to say that he hasn't made game winners. Here's why I'll say Kawhi should get the ball in the last 30 seconds, actually. I think there's an exception. If he catches the ball elbow and in then I'm okay with it because then he doesn't have to work too hard. When Kawhi has to dribble too much for a shot, I feel like it's always going to miss unless he's dribbling in place kind of. When he's moving too much and the defender's really making him work, he usually misses short. If he's in the mid post or like the mid-range area, elbow, he doesn't even need to dribble that much. 
He can just rise up. Just like the shot he made against Charlotte. If you look at the game winners Kawhi's made as a Clipper, the game against Charlotte, and then in 2020, he made one against Houston. Both came from the elbow. So I want him starting out his move there if he's going to get the shot at the end. Otherwise, Paul George would be my go-to. But the game came down to much more than the closing seconds. I don't want to spend too much time on it because I've spent enough time on it. But yes, that's one of my takeaways is that Paul George should be getting the last shot in the last 30 seconds from now on, in my opinion, because of his ability to get off shots easier, get clean looks easier, I should say. Like, he's not getting blocked. You know what I mean? Not to say Kawhi is necessarily, but it feels like Kawhi's shots are much heavier, much more heavily contested because Paul George is a 6'9 demigod who was looking absolutely unbelievable in this game as well that's the tough part about losing this one is that paul george and Kawhi leonard had a really solid game and the clippers shot the ball extremely well 53 percent from the field and 40 percent from three and got to the line 28 times and i will say they got a favorable whistle which is rare but the jazz shot 19 more times 19 96 shot attempts for utah 77 for the clippers What's my favorite proverb in the whole world? No rebounds, no rings. It comes from the great Pat Riley. And the Clippers did not rebound. They got out-rebounded 45-36. to And on the offensive glass, 17-6. to And allowed 33 second-chance points. Not to mention, they also had more turnovers than the Jazz with 16. Utah had 14. So, moral of the story, when we talked about in preseason and in training camp... Tyloo wanted to focus on the possession battle. That was lost. 19 more shots. Okay, you got six more free throws. 19 more shots. Even though the Utah Jazz shot 43% from the field, 44% from the field, they, they shot 39 from three, which was big time. And 91 from the line. 20 for 22 from the foul line. That's big time. So, in my opinion, the rebounds win the Jazz the game. And outlier shooting. I mean, Jordan Clarkson made a shot, not just the last shot. But the shot in the first half that he made, first quarter, to beat the shot clock buzzer like 30 feet out contested. And then THT hitting pull-up threes. You know, Taylor Horton Tucker is not typically a three-point shooter. Hit two threes, and one of them was contested. Then you have Lowry Markinen, who I think was awesome. So coming up, going to get into more specifics of what went wrong and why, in my opinion, it's not that big of a loss and more of an outlier. I'm going to be explaining why coming up. I got to tell you a little something about Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the best daily fantasy entry app out there. The largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform in North America, and it's super fun. Prize Picks is the most fun I've had winning up to 25 times my money this NFL season. All you got to do is select two or more players and pick more or less on their projected stats and place your entry. And testing your skills on prize picks is the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stat types are what make prize picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Prize picks is actually my favorite app that we use here on Locked On. Uh, I used it a lot for the NBA last season, and I'm looking forward to using it more this season. And you can also use it this season if you go to prizepicks.com slash LockedOnNBA and use code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash LockedOnNBA and use code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. 
prize picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. The Locked On Ultimate NBA Season Preview is here. Your boy was on it. Check it out. Me, the Lakers, Locked On Lakers, Locked On Sixers, Locked On Warriors, and Locked On Cavs did the preview for the second tier of contenders. Check that out. From contenders to tankers, we go in-depth into the biggest storylines heading into the season. Catch all six episodes. So there's, It's uh, separated by tiers of... We're locked on, I guess, projects the teams to finish and in terms of winning the championship. So check them out. Six episodes. Get all the locked on hosts. Great perspective. So let's get into what went wrong in this game. And in my opinion, it starts with the first quarter. Starting games was something that was a real problem for the Clippers last season. I remember when I do my vlogs at the games and I go ask fans how they're feeling at halftime. Last season, it felt like every time... Why are we playing badly? What do we have to do better? Because we're losing at halftime. This home opener, this last game I went to on Wednesday, that was one of the first times I can remember in a while that I go to half and I'm not nervous and I'm like asking fans how we're feeling and everybody's in such a good mood because we are in such command of the game. We have to have more of those situations. And you know how that started? The defensive intensity from the get-go. And the Clippers team has talked about seriousness. I think they were serious in three and a half quarters. But I think the first couple of minutes, you saw a lack of seriousness or a lack of attention to detail is a better way to phrase it, not seriousness, from guys like Paul George. I know that sounds crazy, but watch the tape back. In the first couple of minutes, Paul George, and then there was one time where Russell Westbrook got lost off the ball and Jordan Clarkson burned him for a three. But Paul George had a couple of lapses in concentration where he was, or not even lapses in concentration, just laziness where he was ball watching while teammates are fighting for rebounds. I'll give you an example. There was one time where I forget who it was who got beat off the bounce and it forced a switch for the Clippers, right, defensively. Paul George is now being switched on to John Collins. The shot goes up. He doesn't even box Collins out. And then there was another time where Kelly Olynyk was down low below the basket with two Clippers sandwiching him and he's the one that got the ball, rebound, and scored. Then, in the second half, there was a time where Nicholas Batum hauled ass to pin a shot off the glass, and Mason Plumlee was not aware that there was a Jazz player running behind him, and they got the offensive rebound and scored. So these little things, when you lose by two points, these matter. No rebounds, no rings. Paul George cannot be just ball-watching like that. Robert Covington, Nico Batum, I'm not Nico Batum, Russell Westbrook, those three mainly, and Zubats, oh my God, are centers. We're just, if I've had to point to specific players underperforming, the centers were just, gave us absolutely zero in this game. And let's just read their stat lines real quick. Zubots, who, I'm not going to lie, I love Zoo so much, and I'm such a ad, big advocate of his. But he, this, this one night, he's a top 10 center in the NBA, and then another night, he's bottom 10. That has to stop. That has to stop. It's been a discussion for two, three seasons now among Clipper fans. Is Zoo that guy to be a starting center on a championship team? I have always said yes. But he's going to make me change my answer if he keeps being inconsistent. Walker Kessler played better than him. Kelly Olynyk played better than him. And it wasn't like Zubats was getting killed in drop coverage. The Jazz, i got to give them credit in this respect. They played a creative offense. It wasn't just high ball screen. Sure, they threw some high ball screen, high pick and roll in there. 
but they were using Lowry Markinen like a Ray Allen type. Or like even like a Steph Curry. A bunch of off-ball screens to free him up for threes. And he moves so fluidly off of them. And then he can attack off the bounce. Which, you got a 7-footer with a handle coming downhill on you. And he's strong. If Russ or Norm are the ones rotating and helping, good luck. He's going over the top. And then you had Lowry Markinen setting screens. Which, his defender would have to help on who was being screened for a second. And that split second allowed him to just pop out. For threes. I mean, it was really hard to guard. And when you're not trying to switch certain guards onto him and then you're not trying to switch Zubats out onto him, that can cause the defense to have to be put in rotation, and it's tough. Now, I will say, I think over the course of the game, after the first quarter where the Jazz, really the first half, the Jazz scored 63 points in the first half. 63. And a lot of that was second chance. A lot of it. But the attention to detail, the focus, everybody was talking about it. It wasn't as good as Portland in the first half. And I think that's something that you can easily fix. You've got to come out and hit teams in the face that you're better than because that lets them know they've got no chance tonight. We have the capability like we do at Portland to do that. We did it against Utah. And I know it's a tough place to play. And I want to cut the team some slack in this respect. That team last year would have rolled over and lost by like 9 to 15 points last season. This one kept fighting, though, in the second, third, and fourth quarter and made Utah play their absolute best game, Larry Markinen making crazy shots all night to beat them by two points on a game winner. So I know the refs were in our favor a bit, but for the most part, I think it was a fluke. Like I think we beat that team even in Utah eight out of ten times with this roster. No Terrence Mann. And mind you, we missed Terrence Mann for sure. By the way, K.J. Martin... Seems like the odd man out. Because Nico Batum, not only did KJ Martin not play in this game at all, Nico Batum was unbelievable. He was so physical. He was guarding everyone, literally everyone, from Markinen to Sexton. He was getting blocks. His stat line does him absolutely no justice. And here's the thing, right? The Clippers are going to play small. They just don't have that many big athletic forwards. We got Nico, we got Kawhi, we got Paul, we got Rocco. We got Russ as an athletic guard. Everyone needs to rebound and everybody, when we're switched, right? We have a lot. We do a lot of switching. You're typically now boxing out somebody that may not be the same size as you, whether they're bigger or smaller. Those individual battles, those come down to will and just fight and attention to detail. You got to realize, okay, I'm Russell Westbrook switching on to John Collins. That means I'm going to have to, you know, I'm going to have a tougher task boxing out in about three seconds than THT if I hadn't switched off of him. So you got to take that duel personally and do your best. The thing about the Clippers is Zubats and Plumlee were giving him nothing. Zoo getting blocked at the rim over and over. He takes too long to go up when he receives the ball around the basket. But then some nights he goes up with such authority. It's all mental at this point with Zoo. It's, it's nothing to do with skill. So I encourage Clipper fans that attend games this season, please, please keep doing the zoo and keep trying your best to give this guy some confidence because it's very wavering and we need to do our best as fans to instill that. And of course, the team has to do it himself. But, you know, I've made a lot of excuses for Zoo. Not even excuses, but I'm saying, you know, the team doesn't look for him enough, all this stuff. He needs to be more commanding night to night. And it's not just him getting blocked at the rim. He was, his defensive intensity and pressure wasn't nearly as good as Portland. I, I get that 
Walker Kessler is not the guy that the Jazz wanted really rolling to the basket. They would rather have Markkinen involved in actions. So Zoo wasn't really being put in the pick and roll as much. But even when he was being attacked, he's like barely getting off the ground. He's not contesting shots to the same extent. It was just a night. It's like two different players when you watch Zoo against Portland versus against Utah. And when he's not giving us anything besides good screens, and Mason Plumley's not giving us anything. So Mason Plumley, three points, four rebounds, one for one in 12 minutes, and nothing defensively. So yeah, he was a minus 11. Nothing from him. Zubats, six points, two rebounds, two blocks on three for six shooting in 19 minutes. It's just not good enough. 19 minutes. And then we go small, right? And I actually think the small ball worked. People were saying, oh, why did Ty go small? We're getting killed on the glass. The funny part is we didn't even get crushed on the glass like that till that one possession last minute where Markinen tipped the ball in. It was like five tips on the, on the possession. We actually took care of the boards a little better because the thing is Zoo and Mason weren't rebounding, right? They're not giving us anything offensively. So why not just go five out? The way Nico was playing, I mean, I want to read his stat line. Eight points, two rebounds, three assists, one steal, three blocks, zero turnovers. Three for four from the field and two for three from deep. Can't ask for much better from the 35-year-old man. Cannot ask for much better. 34, I'm sorry. He hasn't turned 35 yet. That's in December. So Nico, he should keep playing. (laughs) I don't know how else to say it. The only problem is when you go small like that, you are susceptible to a possession like that one where marketing tipped the ball in. That's that's why you need more production from your centers. You got to be able to close with your centers, and the centers got to warrant that with their game. Now, the question I have coming up is Russell Westbrook. How was his performance? Should he have played? And also going to be going more in depth about two on three's performance before talking about the Sunday night matchup against Wembe. I got to tell you a little something about FanDuel. Score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. You got the NBA season that has just kicked off. You got soccer in full swing. You got the NFL in full swing. You got the World Series just started. It's a great time. NHL as well. Such a good time to make some bets on FanDuel. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. All right, so let's go in more depth about Westbrook, Paul George, and Kawhi's performances. Kawhi Leonard, I thought he was really solid, honestly, especially in the fourth quarter, restored some order when Ty Lu in the second and beginning of the second quarter and the beginning of the fourth, he has put in lineups or he put in lineups in this game with no Kawhi or Paul and it was Bones, Norm and Russ all in the same lineup alongside Mason and they were pretty costly, I'm not going to lie. So I don't think Ty's exempt of blame at all either. I don't think it's like, oh, here comes Ty again back to last season. I don't believe so. I think he's been, for the most part, pretty good so far. But he can't afford to not stagger Kawhi and Paul. I'm sorry. Especially when Markkinen's on the floor. So, 
from, let's check the second quarter, right? Second quarter, the score's 30 to 33 going into it. And by the time Kawhi came back in at 947, it was 34-44. So they took it from a three-point lead to a 10-point lead in just that two-minute chunk. Then at the beginning of the fourth quarter, 83-89, Clippers down six. We made a push in that third. Our defensive intensity was better. We only allowed 26 points, outscored them 29-26 in that quarter. But the Jazz, again, did such a good job of answering back every single time. We were right around the point of tying them or taking the lead. And I have to say, some self-inflicted stuff as well. Turnovers, Bones Highland stepping out of bounds in transition. Paul George getting an eight-second violation. Oh, my God. So frustrating, some of these. But in the beginning of the fourth, Clippers go from down 83-89 to 87-97. So another outscored by four. Kawhi comes in the game with 10 minutes left, and then he restores order immediately. And one thing that was amazing to see in this game was in that period of restoring order, Norman Powell returned. After his early season rust, just like last season, Norman Powell is back, and he was getting to his right, getting downhill, finishing. And also, when I saw him hitting the three ball, I saw his defensive intensity step up. I forget if it was Sexton that tried to post him up, and he just took the ball away. Loved what I saw from Norm. Again, I don't think he's as bad a defender as people think. The first half, he got scored on three times, and it was because he was guarding Colin Sexton twice, which he just can't guard him straight up. And... Larry Markinen, who he should not be getting switched on to. But that's the thing, right? He's out there with Russ and Bones and no rim protector. So that's not an ideal defensive lineup. It's kind of having the conversations we were having last season. So we need Kawhi or Paul George in the game, in my opinion, at all times. One of them. Because that three-guard lineup ain't it. It ain't it. Especially against a team like Utah. I want to emphasize that Utah is an outrageously big team. I don't think that rebounding is going to be as big a problem as people might think for the Clippers because everyone's like, oh, we need a power forward badly. Yeah, we might need a power forward. But Utah, as I said in the preseason episodes, they are just a really big team for this era. They got a seven-foot power forward that's good on the inside and out. He'll actually take advantage of a smaller defender. Walker Kessler is a big dude. And then John Collins has played the four and the five in his NBA career, playing the three. Now, his shooting, I thought he was going to miss every time he shot it. No offense to John Collins. That was part of the reason the Clippers got back in the game, letting John Collins fire away. He was 4 for 11 from the field and 1 for 5 from 3, but he still impacted the game with 13 points, 12 rebounds, and 5 offensive rebounds. So, not all the way bad for John Collins. Kawhi Leonard, 25 points, 9 rebounds, 5 assists, and 2 steals, and only 1 turnover. So, an all-around really solid performance by Kawhi in 37 minutes. So, he played a good amount. 10 for 22 from the field. Four for 10 from three. That is a sustainable amount of minutes that they can both play, Paul and Kawhi. 38 and 37. Kawhi averaged 34 minutes a game last year. Let me know in the comments. I had no problem with Kawhi's individual performance, just that last shot. I thought his defense was really solid yet again. Paul George had my problems with him in the first stint of the game, but when he came back in, he I saw his defensive intensity totally changed. When he sat down and created a turnover on the sideline, I think it was Olenek that lost the ball. It was either Olenek or Collins. And I saw PG sit down and clap when he forced that turnover, and I was like, okay. I think Paul George himself realized he was being lazy in the beginning. Again, it's all body language, guys. You just got to watch these games long enough. Paul George was amazing the rest of the way. The way he has started this season, I could not be more happy with. Going to the basket relentlessly, trying to dunk on – I forget who it was he tried to dunk on in the third quarter, but – 
36 points, four rebounds, only one assist, which is okay. I don't need him taking care of the ball so much. Two turnovers. One of them was the eight-second violation, but overall, that's not bad that he and Kawhi are only combining for three. Nine for 17 from the field. The one thing was he couldn't hit his three ball, three for nine. 15 for 15 from the foul line. Made all of it. 15 free throw attempts. Amazing. Gotta love it. But the rebounding just ended up being a little too costly. That's the moral of the story for me. Rebounding and a defensive focus to begin the game. You got to take care of the ball better. Westbrook. He wasn't aggressive to me. I think he should have been more aggressive. But at the same time, I, do I have much criticism for our offense? Because I thought our offense was pretty good. Defensively and rebounding, we didn't do great. And his rebounding was good. His extra effort plays were awesome. At times when, you know, a ball's in the air and you're and there's three or four hands around it. And Westbrook tips the ball to a Clipper player. That doesn't go in the stat sheet. But that's something that makes a difference in games. Nico and he both did those things. Like there was another time Westbrook was on a fast break. Two on one. Kelly Olynyk, much bigger player than him. And he contests because he's strong enough and athletic enough to make a difference even on a guy much taller than him. So little things like that I thought Russ was doing. I think Russ's defense has been really solid to start the year too. But he could be better offensively. And the thing is when we have two guys in that dunker spot. So Russ only shot one three in the corner he missed in the first half. Two for four from the field. Four points, nine rebounds, four dimes, one steal, one block. The thing that Russ needs to be better at, turnovers. Taking care of the ball. Five turnovers, that's too much. Entirely too much. Five of our 16. But I will say, in the, when you have two guys in a dunker spot with Zubats and Russ or, or Plumlee and Russ, it can be a little congested for Kawhi and Paul. Thankfully, they're such good mid-range players. But let me know if you guys think 37 minutes was too, too much for Russ. When Terrence is playing, it's a good alternative. We'll have another guy. But 37 minutes with the way he was playing, was that too much? Should he have closed? Honestly, don't think it made the difference in the game. I think it was the rebounding and Utah just playing amazing. So the moral of the story is, Clipper Nation, I don't think it was as bad of a loss as you might think. It's just tough because we know the schedule is only going to get tougher. We have San Antonio on Sunday. We got to win that game. Like, we got to win that game. Got to take advantage of the games that Kawhi and Paul are playing. We got a back-to-back next week. I know Kawhi said there's not going to be any load management, and Ty said when our players are healthy, they'll play. All right, let's put that to the test then. Let's see if they play both games this week against Orlando and the Lakers. Those are going to be tough games. Tough games. The Lakers got a back-to-back on Sunday and Monday with Orlando and Sacramento. So... Let's see what they do. Are they going to play AD and LeBron both games? Because if those two play both games, why shouldn't the Clippers play both games? I mean, what when an injury actually happens, which I hope it doesn't, but when I'm saying like a small thing, you know, like a sprained ankle or whatever, and you miss a couple of games, you miss a couple of games. Like if you can play, we got to take advantage of every game. Isn't that what we preached in the preseason? So we'll see how it goes. However, rebounding needs to be better. The attention to detail and defensive intensity to start the game has to be a little better. Clippers were switching everything on and off ball, except for the five, of course. And for the most part, they were pretty good. I think Utah's offense is just very creative with marking and off the ball like that. It's hard to guard. And not many teams have something like that. Will we see something like that from Wemby? Not as strong and not as confident yet. So let's talk about the Spurs for a sec. Um... So yeah, not the end of the world, Clipper Nation. I really think the boys played hard. What's really a positive is how well Kawhi and Paul are playing. I mean, Paul George with 36 points, 
what was it, 30, yeah, 36. Marketing had 35, by the way, 12 rebounds, three assists on 12 for 23 shooting and five for 13 from deep. But ultimately it was um, Jordan Clarkson who hit the game-winning three. But anyway, so the Spurs, right? I think in my predictions preseason on my Dime Dropper channel, you can check that out if you want. I had them finishing 14th in the West and Utah 13th. And the thing about Utah is, right, just remember, they were actually competing and in the mix for the play-in last season, but then they realized they're going to, okay, we should probably tank. Traded Jared Vanderbilt and uh, Malik Beasley over to the Lakers. So, And they were playing pretty well for them. Utah's not a bad team right now in the beginning of the season. Before they really start tanking, they're going to be decent. Just like I said about Portland, who, by the way, looked a lot better in their next game against Orlando, but Orlando beat them by five in Portland. Orlando... We'll talk about them next week because we're going to see them, but they're they're looking tough, and I expected no less from those two, Wagner, Franz Wagner, and Paolo. But as terms in terms of San Antonio, I watched their game against Dallas, and I'm I watched their first half against Houston. I haven't seen the second. They won the game though, so they'll have some confidence. But this is their first road game of the season. This is Wemby's first road game, so. Let's well, let's give him a proper welcome, Clipper fans. Of course, I'll be in the building. I can't wait to see this guy play. It's going to be a lot of Laker fans coming to watch him for a cheap price, ooing and aahing at everything he does. My keys, let's keep him out of the paint. Put Kawhi or Rocco on him. Maybe put Kawhi on him and just intimidate him. Just like get physical with him because he is skinny. I've seen, he was trying to post up Grant Williams against Dallas or try to go at him and he could not do anything because he was just a brick wall. I think Kawhi with, the, with his hands as well. Might be able, even Rocco. But can Rocco stay with him? Because he's pretty quick off the bounce for a big dude. Big dude. Let him take his jump shots. He's, he's settled. I watched the first half against Houston, and he settled for a bunch of jumpers. And we got to live with that. When As good of a jump shooter as he is, and however fluid it looks, he is still seven foot four. Like, if we can keep him out of the paint, that's great. So keep him out of the paint best we can. Um, try to get him in foul trouble by going at him. Although he is, his shot blocking is pretty remarkable. But if we can get him in foul trouble, more so if he switches out on the perimeter, try to take him off the bounce and make him play defense without fouling, I'd say. And Paul George and Kawhi keep being aggressive, of course. I don't know who they're even going to throw at Paul George and Kawhi today or on Sunday. Like Keldon Johnson and Devin Vassell or, or so, Sohan is going to guard one of them, probably Kawhi. But who's guarding Paul George? Keldon Johnson? Devin Vassell? Wemby? We'll see. Try to run on them. They play two bigs. Try to run on them, even though they're young. I think we can run them out of there. Defensive intensity has to be strong. And Westbrook attacked the basket. Why not attack the basket? Anyway, has to be a win. Has to be a win. Let's see how it goes. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Dime Dropper Pod. Subscribe to my own YouTube channel, Dime Dropper, where I went live after the game against Utah to talk about it. In my other words, I guess you could say, in my own words. These are my own words too, though. But, you know, just a slightly different perspective. A little more raw emotion. But you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Dime Dropper Pod. Make sure you subscribe to Locked On Clippers. And give a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Why not? All things LA Clippers, five days a week. We will talk tomorrow for the Monday show, hopefully after a win over the Spurs. The age-old proverb continues. Go Clippers.